0: no response from anybody I'll talk to you sweetheart oh no you're not looking at me either who opens presents as soon as they get up Christmas morning six people who opens presents who doesn't get any presents oh a couple of dozen people Who opens presents after church? More people. If you're a parent, bring, tell your kids to bring a gift, and if they want to, and then we come and line them up here. You've seen us do in the years gone by, and the kids talk about the gift, and um, usually that can be quite engaging and quite entertaining, depending on what the kids have got for Christmas, particularly if it's, you know, some of the new stuff, which I'm completely out of the loop on even though I have young grandchildren, and they're, what, three and six. And I'm still not up to the toy stuff, you know. It's, somebody else looks after all of that. and My job is simply to spoil them, throw money at them, and, <laughs> and Rhonda looks after them. Uh, anyway, so kids, Christmas Day, bring a present, and we'll have fun time together. Uh, if you bring a gift, then you get a prize. I give everybody a prize who comes on stage. You get first dibs at some thing. Matthew chapter 2, a tale of kings and kingmakers. We're going to read verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, wise men. And they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, or we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the che- people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them whether Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For that's what the prophet has written. And they quote Micah, but you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Micah 5.2. Then Herod called together the Magi and the wise men and secretly found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He then sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go make a careful search for the child and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him, liar, liar. After he had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen what saw when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place, the house where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were simply overjoyed, filled with joy. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and then having been warned in a dream not to go back to herod they returned to their country by another route let's pray father we are very familiar with this part of your word and with this story. We have, every year of our life, been reminded of it. So I pray this morning that you would uh, break through that which is so familiar and that you would give us either an insight, a fresh new insight, or, Lord, that you would speak to us out of the same truths and insights that we've had before. Either way, Lord, however you choose to do it, we simply desire to experience you speaking to us and directing us, that we might walk closely with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a story. At the end of the story, you get to make a choice. Um, The story is a bit of a background story to this passage, and then we're just simply going to work our way through that passage and then um, apply it at the end. There were many families, I'm not sure how many families, were growing up in Nazareth, back in the time, just before the Lord Jesus uh, came into the world just before he was born. But there was probably several hundred people living in this small village. Um, there was a man, we know the name of a couple of the people, residences of Nazareth in the north. One was named Jacob, and he was married and he had a son and they called their son Joseph. There was another man who lived in Nazareth and his name was, his name was Heli, H-E-L-I, and he had a daughter. And they called their daughter's name Miriam, Mary. And then, as was a custom back in those days, these two families out of this small community got together, and Jacob's family and Heli's family agreed that his son Joseph and her, his daughter Mary would become husband and wife. The marriage was organised by the parents, and all that was normal back then. And they were not just engaged, the Bible uses the word they were betrothed. It usually went for a period of about 12 months. And during that 12 months, they they could be called husband and wife, though they weren't quite yet. They weren't officially married, and so they didn't have any of the marital relationships. During the 12 months, the husband, Joseph, would... um, in his spare time and in his holidays would set about building a house, which is where he would bring his bride-to-be, his wife. When Joseph started doing that, during this period of time, somewhere in this 12 months, Mary has this spiritual encounter with an angel, Gabriel. Luke tells us this part of the story, and he tells her that she's going to become pregnant. She's only a young girl. We don't know how old, but think of a young teenager. 13 14 we don't know but around that time and he says you're going to become pregnant and it's going to be a miraculous thing the holy spirit is going to create this new life in you and you're going it's going to be a boy and you're going to give him the name Jesus he's going to be the messiah and she remarkably is submissive to that and accepts that she certainly has a question about how is that going to happen and gets a reply, god's going to do something miraculous And the angel also tells her that her other relative, Elizabeth, is also, in her senior years, has become pregnant. She's now six months pregnant. And so Mary, in this 12-month period, Joseph's building a house. She has this encounter with Gabriel and now she leaves for at least three months and maybe a little bit longer. So at least three months. She goes to visit Elizabeth until her baby, whose name was John, is born. While Mary is away, Joseph completes the house. When she returns after those months away, Joseph makes the awful discovery that Mary is pregnant. And he, like any other normal person, puts two and two together and gets it wrong. But he's devastated. And he makes, Matthew chapter 1 tells us this, he makes the only choice that a righteous, godly person, as he understood it, could make. He decided he had to divorce her. You see not yet married, but considered to be husband and wife, that the only way this relationship could be terminated was a divorce. So he wrestles with it and he comes to the conclusion that he's going to divorce her. He has a choice, he can do it publicly and bring shame to her but clear his name, or he can do it privately, which protects her a little bit, but doesn't do a lot for his reputation. He chooses the second, he chooses to do it privately. Having made that decision... It's at that point then that God turns up, God intervenes in his life through a dream. He sees an angel come to him and the angel explains to him that what Mary said to you is true. She hasn't been unfaithful to you, it's God has done something miraculous in her. And this child is the son of God, the Messiah, who is coming into the world. And his name is Jesus and he's a saviour and he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph, when he wakes up, does immediately what God wants him to do. He goes to Mary... The house is finished. The way that you got married in those days is the husband would simply come to the house of the bride, knock on the door and then take her home. That's how they did it. They had a party and all that sort of stuff too but she had to be ready at any time for the husband to come. He could come in September, he could come in November, he could come in January. She had to be ready for when the bridegroom came, just like us. We have to be ready for when the bridegroom comes. He is coming. He's gone to build a house and he is returning. See the parallel? Interesting, isn't it? You need to be ready for the coming of our bridegroom. So Joseph does, knowing the will of God, he does it immediately. That's a great lesson for all of us, isn't it? Now that they're married, now that they're living in this house together, the Bible says specifically, end of chapter 1, that they're not sleeping together because that's not appropriate just yet. And then while they're in this married state... News comes from Augustus, the Roman Emperor, that he wants everybody to be taxed, so now Joseph has to go down to Bethlehem. It was only the men who had to go, the women didn't have to go, but for whatever reason, Joseph takes Mary with him. Here is one of the marvellous things, that you get an insight into how our Lord works in this world, how God works in the world. He often works through very normal circumstances and very natural processes to achieve his purposes. Here the God of heaven has arranged the circumstances and he's doing it through the central government in Rome, through the emperor, for his son to be born in the location where God said 600 years beforehand that he would be born. God working his purposes out. So they head off to Bethlehem. Did she ride a donkey? Don't know. Christmas cards show that it did. On their arrival they find out that all the accommodation is taken and so they have to bunk down somewhere where there are animals. We don't know exactly where. The baby is born. She wraps him in cloths. She lays him in an animal feeding trough, a manger. There is no mention of any midwives or any other assistants, whether they were there or not. When this has happened, when the king is born in our world, then two things happen in the sky. There is a bright light that Matthew talks about, he calls it a star, but it's literally a bright light. And secondly, Luke tells us about another bright light in the sky filled with heaven's choir who were singing Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Now I surmise this part of the story, 40 days now pass, the shepherds have come and gone, they're still in Bethlehem, 40 days later and according to the law, Leviticus chapter 12, when you give birth to a child, then you are to go to the temple and to offer a sacrifice and to dedicate the child, particularly a firstborn son, to the Lord. So, in obedience to that, 40 days after the birth, they head up to Jerusalem, they go to the temple, Luke tells us the story, and they offer their offering. Now, the fact that they offer two birds, whether it's two doves or two pigeons, is a pointer that they are poor. They don't have the finances to be able to afford a lamb. And so there is an out. You can offer a much cheaper sacrifice, which probably indicates, I surmise, that the wise men have not yet arrived because when the wise men come, what do they give them? Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Very expensive gifts. So they would have had means. So I assume the wise men have not yet arrived. That means your nativity scene, if you have the wise men and the shepherds, they're all together, it's wrong. What you need to do when you get home is to pick up... Who has the nativity scene at home? Oh, many of it. What you. need? Who's got the wise men in the nativity scene? Ooh. You need to pick the wise men up if it's in the laundry room and you need to go put them in the kitchen. You need to put them to the east because they're still coming. They're not here yet. So they're back in Bethlehem I don't know why they stayed in Bethlehem, but they do, because that's where the, the wise men will come to meet them. And so we come to Matthew chapter 2. And Matthew picks this story up by simply saying, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time when Herod was king, that's the time frame. When was that time? Well, it's not absolutely clear, but most historians and most researchers would be happy to say that Herod died in 4 BC. It's not without question but it seems to be pretty well accepted if he died in 4bc so this is happening back before then which of course throws our calendar bit out and matthew chapter 2 when he picks up this story has some things to tell us he doesn't focus upon a lot of the questions but he does want to focus upon certainly some prophecies god is a god who keeps his word but he also wants to focus upon the responses that different people give to jesus The different reactions, the different responses that people had to the Lord Jesus, which is repeated throughout his life and is repeated in our world today. That's what Matthew particularly wants us to know. So this morning, in the next few minutes, I want to do five things very quickly. Here they are. What we don't know about the wise men. I'll probably spend far too much time on that. Um, Why they were wise. Uh, What insight did they have? And then what were the other responses that Matthew tells us about? And then finally, what is our response to the Lord Jesus? So what we don't know, um, why they were wise, what we do know, and what insight did they particularly have? Okay, so these Magi, the wise men from the east, arrive in Jerusalem. They ask the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east at its rising, and we have come to worship him. What don't we know? And we don't know who they were. Some people would say that it's a word. Magi is a word that comes from the Persian, which means an expert in the stars. The trouble with all this sort of stuff is words in different contexts and different historical situations take on slightly different meanings. If you look at the book of Daniel, you'll certainly find Magi mentioned, and they seem to be interpreters of dreams. They seem to have some sort of magic skills, hence Magi. Whether they're into astronomy, studying of the stars... Or even in Daniel, and certainly in other times and cultures, they were into astrology, where they thought the stars influenced life. One very reputable Bible teacher, John MacArthur, he thinks they're actually from Parthia, and he thinks that just like Israel had a tribe of priests called the Levites, so the Parthians had a tribe of people called the Magi. They were a tribe. And as a tribe, they actually ascended to power, and they became the equivalent of the Senate, and they became the king. Makers of the empire of Parthia? We don't really know. We just know what the Bible calls them. Technically they're Magi or our English translation sometimes, wise men. Where did they come from? We don't know. We just know they came from the east. Was it Babylon? That's my favourite choice. Um, that ties it in with Daniel and the prophecies and they were expecting him and so on. Was it Arabia? Was it Persia? Was it India? Was it China? All of these have been suggested. What was the colour of their skin? Don't know. Don't know where they're from. Were they kings? Well, the hymn writer certainly thinks they are. We three kings of Orient are. The tradition that they were kings certainly goes back to about the 200s, 225 AD. So a couple of hundred years later with Tertullian. Um, we don't know their number. How many were there? Well, there might have been three. It's unlikely. Um, they certainly didn't come by themselves. There is a very creative suggestion that there were three and it represents the three sons of Noah and therefore represented all the nations of the world. Uh, that's cute, but not very likely. <clears throat> we don't know the number, we don't know their names. By the 6th century, we have their names, Melchior, Balthazar and Gaspar. By the 12th century, we've discovered their bones and their skulls. We now have them in a cathedral in Germany in Cologne. All of this is not true. We don't know. What did they ride? We don't even know that. If they came from Parthia, they wouldn't have driven camels, that were driven, ridden, whatever. They would have rode horses, steeds. So your nativity scenes are wrong, people. Please correct them when you get home. Um, We don't even know the exact time that they came. In fact, when I read verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and he found out from them the exact time the star appeared. I can imagine him asking him, so how long ago the star appeared? And they would say, oh, so many weeks or so many months or whenever it was. And he said, no, 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 exactly when was it? He wants to pinpoint it. And so I guess they knew and they would have told him. Uh, Please note when the wise men do come, that they don't come to an infant, they come to a child. Most of you are familiar with this. They don't come to a manger, they come to a house. Um, so I, my surmise and assumption, and I'm confident with it, is that it's after the 40-day sacrifice up to Jerusalem. They're still back in um, Bethlehem. And partly because Herod kills all the boys in Bethlehem, and it's not hundreds of boys, it's you know half a dozen, are, a small number. Whatever it is, it's too many. There's a family in Cairns, isn't it? There were, was it seven children? No, eight children who were killed. That's too many, isn't it? Well, you're thinking something like that has happened in Bethlehem, that there are families deprived of firstborn sons, and they're under two. And again, I surmise it. Herod was a paranoid, brutal beast at the end of his life. He was in his 70s he was killing family members and killing wives and killing sons and killing lots of people and he was just insanely jealous and I think when he went to the two years I think I think this is how I imagine it happening he finds out exactly when the star appeared he knows exactly how old the child would be but for the sake of safety or his own ego he doubles it not one year but make it two make absolutely certain can I trust these wise men from the east who didn't return to tell him So we don't know a lot. We don't even know much about when they said it. Uh, We saw his star in the east when it rose. We don't know much about the star. There's been lots of suggestions. There's a DVD you can buy where an engineer has done some incredible research and it's very interesting to hear it. End of the day, we don't know. God did something. Was it a conjunction of planets? Was it a comet? Was it a meteor? Was it a supernova? Was it the kind of glory itself of God's magnificent presence shining the way? Um, don't know, don't need to know. Technically, it's a bright light in the sky. If we looked up, we would say a star. That's just exactly what they're saying and observing. Um, and just a very quick correction, that star that they saw in the east, that star they saw when it rose, did not go before them in their travels that led them to Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that they saw his star in the east when it rose... And then it's almost like it disappears and then they head off to Jerusalem because they assume, they conclude a star in this part of the heavens, is the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews will be in Jerusalem, we're going to Jerusalem. That's what led them to Jerusalem, this assumption that the king, the one born king would be in the capital city. Verse 9, however, does say, rather remarkably, that takes this out of the realm of the natural and certainly into the realm of the supernatural... That that same star, after they'd met with Herod, and they're heading from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, they're now going north to south. Stars, meteors, comets, and every other natural phenomenon does not go in that direction. To the best of my knowledge, it goes east-west, not north-south. And this star, they certainly do. This bright light, they certainly do follow. After they heard the king, they went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. They're following it now until it came and stopped over the very house where Jesus was, where the baby was. It's remarkable that God spoke to them in a way that they could understand about the entry of the king into this world. So there's a lot we don't know about these guys. Well, what do we know? Why why do we call them wise men? Five quick reasons. They're wise because they seek Jesus. They're seekers of truth. They've got open minds. They're asking questions. They're probably studying the Bible, if they're from Babylon, and with the influence of Daniel and the prophets. They're watching what's going on around them. And they see the signs. They observe the star. They're putting the circumstances, the coincidences, if you like, together. And they're willing to search to find the answers. Lots of people back then didn't. They missed it. Lots of people today don't. They miss it. So they were wise because they were seekers of truth. That's always wise. They were wise, secondly, because they were willing to go to any lengths to find the truth. It was a long journey, probably quite expensive. And there wasn't just a handful of them. There was probably guards and servants and a whole entourage of them who came on their camels or horses and arrived in town. They would have created quite a stir. Matthew doesn't tell us much about that. You know, it's quite possible you could have the Lord Jesus right in your midst and you could miss him just because you're not looking for him. People at the carols last Sunday night came, enjoyed it, and for some of them, missed it. Didn't get it. They think probably it's, it's a religious thing and it's a nice thing to do, and, but they don't get it. They see the truths on the cards. They see, hear the, so- the truths in those magnificent songs, the Christmas carols. They don't get it. Well, here are these guys. These are wise because they're ready to go to any length to find the truth. And they particularly want to find the truth as it is in Jesus. They're wise because they don't stop until they do meet the Lord Jesus. Verse 11 says, um, finally, they came to the place where Jesus was. That's what has to happen for all of us. We all need to come to the place where Jesus is. We all have to come to meet him. Matthew doesn't tell us, but I wonder if they were shocked. When they got into their house, their first reaction. We're told their ultimate response, where they bear down, worship him and give gifts. That's their ultimate response. What was their initial response? They see a babe, a poor babe. They see a poor family in a house, not a palace. Is this the king? I wonder. I wonder if they were shocked. We're not told. They were wise because they came for the right reason and they did exactly the right thing, that when they did find Him, they bowed down and they worshipped Him, they expressed their gratitude, they honoured Him, they respected Him. When it says worshipped Him, did they understand that He was the Son of God? Is that what that means? I wonder if they had that depth and level of understanding, they're certainly expressing their love and their submission to Him. Lots of people will use Jesus to achieve their own purposes but these guys are wise These guys are seeking him. They go to great lengths to find him. They don't stop until they find him. When they do find him, they respond exactly the right way. And then, what insight do they have, thirdly? Lots of things we don't know about them. This is why they were wise, because of the things they did. What insight did they have? What can we surmise from the gifts that they gave? These are certainly not leftover gifts. They're not trivial gifts. They're not just whatever will do gifts. They had thought about it. And I don't know if they had the level of insight that you would have heard over the years and that I've heard and read and, and what I'm going to share with you now. And maybe they didn't have this level of insight or understanding. Maybe they did. But if they didn't, I am pretty confident that Matthew wants us to get it. He wants his readers to want... Un- Why did they give him gold? It was a very practical purpose. They'll need money because of the trip coming up to Egypt and they'll need to be maintained. Yep, but why else? Because gold is the gift you give to a king. His royalty. This is the king of the Jews. They're paying their tribute to him. This baby will rule. He is a king. They gave him the gift of frankincense, which is something which is used in the temple, something used in worship, something the priests use. Would they have understood, like we understand that Jesus is not just the king, but he is our priest, he is our high priest, the one who intercedes for us, the one who stands in the gap for us? Did they get that insight? I think we should. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Myrrh is the strange one. Myrrh is that embalming fluid that you use for the dead, for the departed very expensive, used undoubtedly for other means as well, but primarily used in burial. Is this gift indicating that this king, who will be our priest, will die for us? I think Matthew wants us to get that level of understanding. It has not just a practical gift, it has a symbolic meaning behind it. These 10 fingers and 10 toes that Mary counted on her newborn child would one day be nailed to a cross... This child will die, not for himself, but just like the angel said, you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He was born to rule. He was born to die. Expensive gifts, but symbolic gifts. Gifts that are providential for the trip, but gifts that I think have some other symbolic theological meaning. Note the order of their experience. They're searching. There is some revelation from God in a way through the star that they understood. What other information they had, we are not told. But it was enough to kickstart them on a journey. They seek. And that which they seek, they find, just like God promises. And when they find him, they worship him. And those who worship him consecrate their all to him. They give him the very best that they are, Capable of giving. It's a model and example for us. Seek him, find him. If you find him, worship him. In your worship of him, consecrate everything to him. He deserves your best. And then the story ends, I think, beautifully, where Herod had falsely said to them, Return to me, give me a report, and I want to come and worship him too. He's lying, of course. He has murder in his heart. And God intervenes yet again and sends an angel, and they have a dream. And the remarkable thing is their response to this prompting this dream from God having been warned by God in a dream verse 12 they then don't go back to Herod they head off to their country they're from one country they go back to their country by another route obedient responsive just a suggestion in a prayer no thunderstorm no loud clap of thunder or anything else nothing dramatic something simple gentle but responsive there's A lot we don't know. There is stuff we do know, why they were wise and perhaps some of the insight they had. What were the other responses in this story? Well, there were two. First one is Herod. Herod's response is one of complete self-interest. He hears about Jesus. He hears about him being born to be the king and he's still and interested in himself. He's troubled, he's anxious, he's paranoid. Jesus is seen as a threat to him. Because Jesus will take his throne. Herod responds, as many people respond now, that they don't want this man to rule over them. They want to be the king of their own life. They want to be in charge. They want to be the boss. They want to be the ones calling the shots in their life. They don't want anybody else's authority. They don't want to be answerable to anybody else. He only has a selfish interest. He lies. He's informed by the Bible of where Jesus would be born doesn't do anything about it but he does plot and plan to remove him some people are like that some people just are not interested and they can be quite hostile quite angry and quite opposed to anything to do with jesus second reaction is of course the scribes and the pharisees and their response is not like herod's but there seems to be one just of indifference they know the answer where's the messiah to be born micah 5 2 bethlehem but they did not make any effort to go and investigate they couldn't be bothered to check it out they got the knowledge just no impact of that knowledge in their life even with these visitors in town they knew the prophecies but they weren't experiencing the spiritual reality it. so some people are like that their lives they got some bible knowledge they got some awareness about jesus but they their lives are so full and they're so preoccupied with other things, whether it's their own job or status or health or relationships or whatever. That's more important. That's where their focus is, not on Jesus, not on pursuing him. He seemed to be more of an inconvenience. They had a strong theological idea about him, but no personal relationship with him. So there are folk who respond like that, even today. Some are hostile, Matthew tells us. Some are indifferent. And some, like the wise men and others, will welcome the Lord Jesus and will worship him. It's typical responses to Jesus, and those same responses go on today. Uh, The interesting question becomes, where's your heart? What's your response? Welcoming him, worshipping him, obeying him, giving him your best. Look at the contrast, let me just give you four of these very quickly and then I'll close. There is Herod, the usurper king of the Jews. Contrast that with Jesus who was the righteous king, the one born to be king of the Jews. Contrast the great distance the Magi travelled to visit Jesus with a very short distance that Israel leaders didn't bother to travel. Contrast the genuine worship of the Magi with the feigned worship, the pretended statement of worship from Herod or the lack of worship from the Pharisees, scribes. And look at the responsiveness of the Magi, the wise men to the divine guidance compared to the indifference, the non-responsiveness of those who knew the scriptures, the scribes. It's a chapter filled with contrasts and responses to the king who's coming into the world. I'm sure that's what Matthew wants us to get. So what's our response to him? Well, I wrote these down. A, number one, follow the light you already have. I mean, many of you already crossed the line. You've already signed up. You're already following the Lord Jesus. Many of you, not all of you. Maybe you're still on the way. Maybe you've been coming to here for months, weeks, whatever. And you're trying to put it together. You're trying to understand, is this true or is this not true? Well, let me encourage you, follow the light that you have. And as you follow it, then God will add to that light. God will add revelation and truth to you. You certainly need a Bible and you need to be reading the Bible and you need to be talking to God's people. But be obedient and responsive to whatever it is God has given you so far. And just like the wise men, he will add to it and lead you to Jesus. Secondly, for us... Let's be wise like them. Let's respond with trust and obedience. Let's be diligent and seek Him. Let's exercise great faith like they did, listening to God, who might change our plans and prompt us to go in different directions. But let's be wise like they were wise. Finally, what is your response? Where are you at? First category, like Herod, I don't have any desire to get any closer to God. I don't want him to rule over me. I would like him to leave me alone. Is that where you're at? Then if that's where you're at, then we would certainly like to talk with you. We'd love to pray for you and even pray with you for God to soften your heart because that's the terrible position to be in. And it has eternal consequences, which are just awful. Maybe, secondly, that's not your response. Maybe your response is really one where you are. You're paying lip service to Jesus. You're here and you might be regular. You go through the motions, you know the t- stories, you know the truth. But like the scribes and Pharisees, you, it's more there's an indifference. You're preoccupied by so many other things. What you need to do is to be wise in the choices you're making. You need to be wiser in your responses. You need to be wiser in your activities. And for those of you who are like the wise men, uh, you follow the Lord Jesus. Your desire is to serve him, to obey him. Then let me remind you that just as they returned to their country by another route, and I'm sure, and told the story of what they had done and seen, so let us, like them, tell the story to others, let us pass on the message this Christmas time. All you've got to do is be honest. What are you doing on Christmas Day? Going to church. Tell them. Which church? Want to come? I can't come Christmas Day, we've got the family coming over. That's okay. Christmas Eve, 7.30. Invite them to come. And now for us, this Christmas Eve, this Christmas Day, if you come to either one of those services and you're a member of our church, this is your church, you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you come to those services, then please come and worship Him. But please come with your antennas up. Be alert and aware to the people who are around you that God may very well bring seekers in amongst us who will be here for the first time. Or maybe it'll be people like we have who just come back every year at this time. They come at Christmas. They don't come at any other time, they just come at Christmas. This is an opportunity that God has given and that we need to take and build a bridge. Don't Bible bash them, you won't do that. But reach out to them and just love them and be Jesus' representative to them. Let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might help us to obey the light that you have already given to us. Help us to be like these wise men, to be wise people. Lord, wise in our responses, to be prepared to drop everything and to seek you, to be wise in our activities, in our worship, in our giving, in our listening. And Lord, help us to be wise in the conversations we have with people who are still on the way, people who still don't know, Pray that you will use us this Christmas Eve, this Christmas Day, to be your witness, your representative. May your will be done. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We're going to stand and sing and.